You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. It's so good to be here. Um, as, uh, as Esther said at the start, if you were in the room, um, Esther and myself, we've been afforded a, an incredibly generous sabbatical break, so we haven't been here since the end of June, so uh, it is so good to be home, and uh, so good to be back with you, and uh, if you have, well, thank you, and, and welcome to you. Uh, if you've joined us in the last few weeks, then, uh, then let me extend my welcome to you. Maybe you should be welcoming us, but, uh, but welcome, welcome to you if you're new here. You probably landed here, and if you've loved uh, CLM without us, well, I hope we don't put you off. Now we're back. So, um, but it has been so good to have a few weeks uh, away and, and so grateful for it. Uh, we were blown away, we should say, by the amazing celebration service that the team put on, just completely took us by surprise in so many ways at the end of June, and it was such a, a blessed way for us to be kind of sent off for a, a bit of a break. We're so grateful to the directors and elders for affording us that time. We've been here as part of this church, uh, serving and leading for the last 10 years, and uh, so it's been just an incredible time of, of rest and, and reflection, a time to be with family and be recharged, and uh, also we're so grateful to the staff team uh, who have shouldered the weight of ministry and leadership in our absence. We've, we've kind of checked in online from time to time, and it looks like everything's been going brilliantly. And um, can, we, can we say thank you and well done to the great team here? And, um, you know, we're, we're so grateful for the maturity and the strength of team that the Lord has gathered, and we're aware uh, as we come back, I think it's a real chance for us to reset as we try and position ourselves for what God has in the, uh, in the next 10 years ahead. And uh, we know that the next 10 years are not going to look like the last 10 years, that the Lord has some new and, uh, and different things for us to step into and inhabit. And uh, just to say, I know a lot of people, they go on sabbatical and they come back and resign. Uh, we ain't going anywhere. So uh, we're, we're, we're here, we're back, we're renewed, we're energized, we're excited about the assignment God has given to us here to be part of this great church. We know that uh, the Galatians series was great over the summer, and uh, we, we loved uh, seeing the baptisms uh, on, on, uh, online last week, and so great, and grateful to, to Pastor Doug. And uh, Dr. John Andrews, Mark Ritchie, who've also been here in our, in our absence. Um, you might be wondering what we got up to. Uh, well, I'm not going to take the time of the message to, to like, you know, give you the lowdown. But, but uh, we've had a lot of fun. And uh, we were able to get away on a summer holiday uh, with our three big kids uh, now. And uh, had some time in Europe and uh, made it to Rome. And I uh, had a little moment in the Sistine Chapel with, uh, with my three big kids and Esther, just the kindness and the goodness of God uh, over our lives. We celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, and um, I know, I've done well, right? Uh, no, I'm, only, I'm only kidding, all right, so, um, and we, uh, someone lent us a soft top like a convertible car, and uh, it was during the heat wave, so uh, we went off uh, looking super cool, uh, and then we're like, well, like really sad to have to hand the keys back, but um, there you go. But that was fun. Uh, we even made it to Switzerland for uh, Luke and Noemi's wedding 
just over a week ago. There was a great representation from CLM. Like the Coventry people nearly outnumbered the Swiss. So, uh, so uh, we did good and uh, had some house renovations. And uh, yeah, hey, it's been brilliant. You know, the reality is we're, we're so grateful to God for the assignment he's given us here uh, to serve uh, in the way that we're, we seek to do and we're able to do. The reality is that there is a weight that comes with pastoral ministry. There's a relentless nature to it, and it has just been uh, brilliant to take a step back and to breathe and to be refreshed and to be renewed. Uh, we've been to lots of different churches, and uh, we've received some nice welcomes, but I want to say there's no place like home. And uh, we've really missed, we've been excited to be here. We've, I've got to that place kind of as it's the last few weeks. Where I just long to be home uh, worshiping with you here on a Sunday. And something of being part of a family. And uh, we might lead here, but it's also this is family for us. And uh, so to be here, uh, we're super thrilled to be back today. And, uh, and also to be in the presence of God, you know, to go after the presence of God, which is a hallmark of what we seek to do here um, that has been something we have been excited to be back among and back in this space. So, uh, yeah, well, there we go. Um, it also feels that while we've been away, and there's been a heat wave and different things, it also feels like there's not a day gone by without the cost of living crisis isn't being amplified in the media. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I, I know the numbers are real and the tariffs are real. Um, and you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't be attentive to stewardship and, and, and all of those things, but as the media will try and hype up fear, can I encourage us, as you would expect me to do, this is an opportunity, as always, to trust the one whose arm is never too short, to trust God who is able. And uh, can I encourage us, whatever your situation, and if we, we have got a hardship fund here, if you're struggling, you're part of the family, you're struggling to meet the essential cost of living, but don't let fear settle on you. Let us know if you're in difficulty, and uh, we'll see if we can help. But also, um, don't let fear settle on you, because every financial challenge is an opportunity for God, who is able to come through and show himself faithful, and a test can become a testimony. And I know there are many people here uh, who can say, yeah, I've walked through some of that, and I know that to be true. Well, uh, remind yourself of that, uh, whatever you might be facing. Uh, during the summer, I've been uh, mainly in, uh, in Bible-wise, I've mainly been in uh, Luke's Gospel and also the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. And um, early on in, in our sabbatical time away, I was in Luke 3, and it's where John the Baptist is baptizing, and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then it's really interesting because the crowd, the tax collectors and the soldiers, they all ask John, what does this mean for us? Like, spell that out, produce fruit and keep him with repentance. What does that look like for me? And for all three that come and ask him, he responds by saying to produce fruit and keep him with repentance has to do with money. And he talks to them about the attitude in their heart towards money. And one of the things he says to the soldiers is be content with your pay. And I just found it interesting in the midst of what's going on. I'm, I'm not making any sweeping statement from the platform about, uh, you know, industrial action. But, but can I encourage us as the people of God, number one, to be thankful for whatever we've been given. That we have thankful hearts. If you had a choice of clothes to wear today when you got up, if you had a mattress to lie on last night, let's be thankful for what we've been given. Let's be generous, secondly, with what we have. And thirdly, let's be in faith for what we need and trust God who is able. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Amen. amen. Awesome. 
Uh, well, that's, that's so good. Also, um, just before we get into today's message, uh, I want to let you know next week we're starting a brand new series, uh, which we're excited about, uh, over five weeks on Sundays and tracking through in life groups called Invited. And uh, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. The team have put some amazing videos together. We're going to be hearing from different people. One of the one of the amazing things and kind of the standout themes of the book of Acts and the explosion of the gospel in the New Testament is actually something that is so often overlooked, but it is the embracing of diversity and how God shook up a, a group of Jews and, and really messed with their mindset and helped them to see that his heart and his desire was to create from the beginning of time a family of all nations and they had to overcome their prejudices they had to grapple with what it meant for the Gentiles to be included within the gospel. And they had to go out from the security and the familiarity of Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria and the ends of the earth and embrace different cultures and actually start to live in what we see in the book of Revelation of people from every tribe, nation, kindred coming together as brothers and sisters. And this journey into diversity is one of the big themes of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at what that means for us in 2022. I'm really excited about it. We've got a little trailer. So this is like a little teaser of what's coming up. So watch this, and then we'll get into today's message. There you go. Who's excited about that? Looks good, eh? Um, so yeah, that is going to be exciting. That's starting next Sunday. Well, today uh, I want to bring a word really comes out of my devotions over the summer. As I said, I've been in many Luke's Gospel and one or two Samuel, the life of, of David in particular, which is a, a particular favorite part of the Bible for me. And uh, that's where we're going to be uh, focusing on today, and I'm going to be dipping in and out of 1 and 2 Samuel, but I wonder if you'd come with me first, you've got your Bible with you, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, and uh, we're just going to begin with something that is found in Acts 13 to help us uh, really orientate what we're looking at this morning. And um, as well, you're heading there, if you're heading there, Acts 13, breaking in at verse 34, um, uh, well, I wonder what will be said at the end of our lives. You know, when, when, we, when we get to the end of our lives, how will we be summed up? How will we be 
crystallized? How will we be remembered? Maybe it will be said she was a fun person. Maybe it will be said he was a kind man. Maybe it will be said he was a creative and generous person. Maybe it was said she was a person of prayer and faith. Or maybe he or she gave her life for others. And, and here in Acts 13, let me give you the context. Paul and Barnabas, uh, they're part of a church in Antioch in Syria. And the Lord speaks to send them out as missionaries to take the gospel uh, further afield. And they set off on their missionary journey. They go to different places. Early on, they land in Turkey, and they find themselves in another city also called Antioch, but it's not the Antioch they came from. Apparently, there were about 15 Antiochs in Europe at that time. They're now in Pisidian Antioch, and Paul gets invited to speak in the synagogue, and there are Jews and Gentiles present, and really, he's bringing the gospel to them, and he starts to journey in summary form through the, the Old Testament, and he's coming to the point of saying, although everybody died, Jesus didn't die. Jesus died, but he rose from the dead, and his body did not see decay. But in the midst of this, he throws something away about David's life that has really been on my heart uh, over this summer period. This is what the Bible says. This is breaking in Acts 13, 34 to 37. God raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead. Uh, Paul is saying in preaching, so we will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one, speaking of Jesus, see decay. Now, now this, this, is, this is it for me, my highlighting. Now, when David had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Now, obviously, the main thrust of what Paul is saying is about Jesus uh, being raised from the dead and remaining alive, to which we say amen, yes? But in the midst of it, he mentions David's legacy, and he said, David served the purpose of God in his generation. But wow, what a thing to be said. This is your legacy. You know, God, this, is, this scripture is God-breathed, which means for me, this is God's verdict. Through all the highs and the lows of David's life, and, and there were many of both, that that God is able to have written up about his servant, the one that was after his own heart, that he served the purpose of God in his generation. And as I come back from this sabbatical, I'm, I'm challenged myself to commit myself to serve the purpose of God in my generation. Does anyone want to serve the purpose of God in their generation? So really, that is the message today. Are we going to commit ourselves to serve the purpose of God in our generation. For David, it meant that he served God's plan and not his own plan. That although there were different things that, that, um, that David could have done, David aspired to, he aligned himself to the purpose of God for his life. Let me tell you, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I know sometimes it can be a wrestle to find that and step into it, but in our heart, we have to make a decision whether we are going to align ourselves to the purpose of God. David said, I want to serve your purpose for my life, God. I want to do what you want me to do. And he did it so consistently that at the end, it ends up being his life's legacy. He did it so courageously, it affected others around him. At least I think it must have done in part for him to say, in his generation. In other words, it impacted his peers. He was a signpost. He he was some, someone that God put up and exalted among his people to look at and say, this is what it looks like to go after me, to serve me. You know, it, it, and I have to ask myself, 
Am I going to serve the purpose of God in my generation? Am I going to yield my plans to His plans? Will I make that the focus of my life, the driver of my decisions? For 30 years, I've been trying to do that. But today, I come afresh and say, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to choose His will over my will. And today, I come to ask you whether you will also do the same. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15 Paul, writing again, says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder or an expert builder. Uh, someone else is building on it. Each one should be careful how he builds. Each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Which is to say our salvation is based on Christ and Christ alone. There is no other foundation for a saved life. And, and yet after that foundation, how we build is up to us. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, can we say capital D? That means the day, the day when your whole life's work gets tested will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder, that's you and me, will suffer loss but yet be saved even though one is escaping through the flames. In other words, if what I do is serve myself on a foundation of Christ, I'll still get in by the grace of God but almost scorched on the way in. But if I live to serve the purpose of God in my generation then my life's work will stand the test, will be pleasing to the Lord, and the Bible says we will receive a reward. My friends, we have one life, and we'll see him face to face, and we'll be held to account. C.T. Studd wrote that amazing poem, Only what's done for Christ will last. I believe that. I thank God for those among us in our, our congregation who have served God with the fullness of their years, the mature among us. I'm, I wouldn't dare call them old, but, but the Tonys and the Julies and the, and the Donalds and the Roses and the, the Sue and Barrys and, the, and the, the Mick and Sandras among us, who they've, and you've still got plenty to do, right? You're still on assignment from the Lord, but you've run long enough, faithfully enough, that we could say already, you've served the purpose of God in your generation. You know, but some of us, we might find ourselves, you might be 13 years of age today, you might be 15, 18, 25, 35, and, and to make a guarantee for the whole of your day seems too much. But let me tell you, the only thing we can ever do is say yes today. The only thing we can ever do is say yes today, to make it our yes today. See, David said yes to God, and he kept saying yes to God, and he kept on saying yes to God. And even when he stumbled, he found a yes in his heart quickly again, and he got himself back up and said yes afresh. And we have to just keep saying, and if we keep saying yes today, then we'll serve the purpose of God in our generation. You know, 17 years of age, I went to the front of a church and I gave my life to Christ. I said my first yes to Jesus. I couldn't have promised them that, that at 51 years old, I'd still be running strong. But I've just tried to keep saying yes in every season, in every challenge, every year, every new year, every start. And some of you, you'll be back to school this week. Some of you, you're entering into new jobs. These, these guys on the front row, entering into a year where they've already said yes 
to a call and a challenge to come and give a sacrificial year of their lives. But you might be going back to same old, same old. But still today, at the start of September 2022, you can say yes to serving the purpose of God in your generation. To say yes today. That's all we can do. And if we keep doing it, then we will fulfill what God wants us to do. And that is the message. It's there on the screen. If you want a title today, say yes. Say yes. Will you say yes? Whatever your yes might relate to today, to say yes to God. Maybe like Leroy and Sophie in just over a week embarking on married life. Will they put Christ at the center of their marriage and say yes to a God-filled marriage? young guy on our street, I bumped into him uh, on Friday, and we just said hi. I hadn't seen him for a little while, and, and uh, we just started chatting, and, and he said, like, how long have you been married? I said, we've been married 25 years. He said, wow, what is the secret? He said, I, I, I want to I wanna have a marriage like that, and we started talking, and I had to tell him that we put Christ in the middle, that actually we had values that we're both trying to adhere to that are bigger than us. We talked a bit about what it means to, to try and serve the purpose of God. Well, as we develop this idea over the coming minutes, I'd like to draw some thoughts on the life of David and perhaps why it could be said he served the purpose of God in his generation. Number one, his orientation was devotion. In other words, he said yes to God's heart. He said yes to God's heart. I don't think we're going to serve the purpose of God in a generation if we don't love God. God, he invites us on this journey of relationship that we would first understand that he's already said yes to us. He's already shone his love upon us. We've been singing this morning about the cross. God has shown how much he loves you in a thousand ways, but probably most powerfully by going to the cross for you. This is how much he loves you. The love of God. He said yes to God's heart. I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, when a couple get married in almost every culture that I'm aware of, it's the groom that goes first. It's the groom that first says, uh, I will be faithful to you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you and, and makes a vow. And then the bride responds. And the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. Let me tell you that, that, that God has already said his yes to you. Hello? God has already said his yes to you. He's already opened his heart to you. And he invites you to reciprocate. The first yes that God is looking for is that we would respond to his love and we would bring our love to him. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is this. Love God with everything you've got. All your heart, your soul, your mind. And Mark's gospel adds the word strength. With everything you've got, a big yes to God. Will you, will you love God. David loved God. He learned what it was to love God. He, he wrote Psalms. He, he expressed things that hadn't been expressed quite in that way before. He, he dared to express an intimacy that we didn't quite see from Abraham, even if it was there. We didn't quite see from Moses, even if it was there. We didn't quite see from, from Joseph, even if it was there. But David comes, he says, I love you, Lord. He's out there. He's all heart. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. And I think, I think the fact that he served the purpose of God in his generation stems out the fact that he loved God and he wanted to do God's will. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell 
in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of... Uh, David's Ryan. He said, you're, my, you're the stronghold of my life. He's, he's talking about all the things that are coming against him. And he says, the only thing I really want to do is be in the presence of God. I just want to be in your house, Lord. I love you. And because he loved God, because he'd understood that God loved him, because they had this relationship together, then he would commit himself to serve God's purpose. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. Why? Because he loved God. And I want to invite us that we would be a people that, that seek to understand at a deeper level how much we are loved by God. And that we too would go after him, that we'd go after his presence. We would pursue him. Maybe your devotional life has been all out of whack over the summer, but here today, will you say yes to the season ahead? Yes to making space for God. Yes to entering into a love relationship with God. Psalm 63, 1 to 5, David again says, You, God, are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there's no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I'll be satisfied as with the richest of food. I will be satisfied by you, God. You are enough. You are my all in all. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I don't want to speak ill of, of any other churches, but the reality was in, in not being allowed to come here over the last few weeks. I say not allowed. We just kind of, we taught this to the elders. It, it would have been weird for us to kind of turn up on the back row. But let me tell you, there's not every church going after the presence of God. We found ourselves a few weeks before we were in a church on a Sunday where we really sensed the presence of God. And we're both wrecked. We're weeping on the second of back row just to be in the presence of God. We long for God. It's the biggest thing in our lives to go after God. And, and in that place, I want to encourage you to go after the presence of God, to go after God that, first of all, you'll say yes to his love, and you'll seek to love him with everything that you've got. You know, Jesus, uh, when recommissioning Peter, he didn't ask him, would he work harder? Would he, would he lead his people? He, he, that wasn't the primary question he was asking in that space. He didn't ask Peter, were you willing to die for me, even though Peter would? You know the question he asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? And I think David served the purpose of God because he loved God. He spent time with God. He, he cultivated that relationship and everything flowed out of that. So in front of Goliath, he's like, how dare you defy the one that I know, the one that I love, the how I like, there was an indignation that came upon him. Why? Because he loved God. Can you imagine going to a restaurant and, and, and you know, let's say it's a fancy restaurant. You get given the menu, like someone's going to come to your table to take the order, and you peruse the menu, and your eyes settle on a particular dish that you're, you think, oh, yeah, really fancy that. And then, and then the waiter, but he doesn't come over to take your order. He comes to give you what he has decided to give you, and it's not what you were going to choose. And you say, oh, I'd, you might say, oh, I don't think we ordered this as much as someone else. Imagine he said, no, I have decided this is what you should eat tonight. I think you're going to enjoy this. And you look at it, you go, I don't think I am going to enjoy this. And he says, now enjoy this. Do you think our lives can ever be like that before the Lord? That we go after certain things, maybe go after things in our lives and we pursue certain things. We ask God to bless them. Can you imagine if God was really honest, he might say, I, I never ordered that. 
Let our lives not be like that, but we would say yes to God, to serve the purpose of God, to say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want out of this life? And orientate ourselves in that way. Secondly, his application was without excuse. He said yes to God's assignment. I think it's said of David he served the purpose of God in his generation because he said yes to whatever God gave him. In every season, God gave him different things, and he kept saying yes. He kept responding with a yes. We don't see David coming up with excuses why someone else's grass might be greener, why, why it doesn't look like a great deal, why he's not qualified or not able. If God gave him something to do, we see in his heart him just giving the best that he could, saying yes. And I want to encourage us that we are people that say yes to God's assignment, yes to where God has put you, yes to where, where God has led you. Yes to whatever God is asking you to do in this season of our lives. I think sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking that God is, is trying to gear us on a journey to get to the one big thing that we're going to do with our lives. And I just don't think that is what it's about. He's asking us to say yes to Him today. Yes to Him tomorrow. And He'll give us different things along the way. That can be the journey of our lives, but will we say yes to what God has given to us without excuse. He didn't complain. He didn't lament that he wasn't qualified. When Saul, his predecessor, is called to be king, uh, he's hiding in the baggage. You know what happens where, where Israel is gathered, and by lot, they choose the, the tribes, and they choose the clans, and out of the clans, and it falls to Saul, the son of Kish, to be king, who's already been anointed by Samuel in secret. And the lot says, this is it. And they look around. It's like one of those Oscar ceremonies where the person to get the award's not there. And they go, it's, it's Saul, son of Kish. It's Saul, son of Kish. Is, is he here? Is he here? And you know, someone busts him. Do you know who busts him? The Lord says they sought the Lord. They, they had to go to God and say, where is he? And the Lord goes, he's in the bags. The Lord calls him out. And do you know what? Saul was so afraid he hid in his baggage. And some of us, we can hide in our own baggage. Do you know what, the, uh, what that story tells me is the Lord couldn't give a rip about your baggage. The baggage of, of insecurity, the baggage of insufficiency, the baggage of I'm not enough, I'm not qualified, I'm not this, it's too hard. And the, the Lord says, get, get him out of the baggage because the assignment's the assignment. He doesn't care about your baggage. Well, not to stop you doing what he's asking you to do. But David didn't come with excuses. Before Goliath, he he didn't come and say, but I'm only a boy. The others said, you're only a boy. But he said, I, I've, I've killed the lion and the bear. I come in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. It's like, I, I'm not scared. He had a, a sling and a stone, that's it. But he made no excuse. He said yes to God's assignment. In Saul's household, where he's a skilled musician, it wasn't the, it wasn't the ultimate next step for his life, but he went there and he served there and an anointing came upon him. He made his gift available and he ministered in the house of the king. Maybe you have a gift that, that, that you're, you've been hiding, but you could make available, that you could, that you could serve God with. And maybe he'd come and, and ask you in this season, and you know, we can have our excuses. But David served God without excuse. 
You know, it, sometimes, as I've said, another man's grass can look greener. In 1 Samuel 22, uh, 1 to 2, it, uh, David is being hunted down by Saul and he goes to hide and he ends up in a place called Adullam and he's, he's in a cave and the Lord brings to him a team. You know, who, who knows it's good when other people come and you're not alone and you've got a team? Anyone, anyone want a team? Well, let me tell you, before you put your hand up, this is what the Bible says. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers in his father's house heard about it, they went down to him there. Well, that's okay. Then it says, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. That's his team. And he became their commander. Who wants that assignment? What a, what a great church, the, the, the distress, the discontent, those in debt. They had no money. They had attitude issues to spare. You know, they, these were the people no one wanted to lead, and yet David turned them into a mighty army. He said yes to God's assignment. He must have loved them. He must have invested in them. He must have discipled them and corrected them because they turned around to be a kingdom-bringing army for the cause of God. Out of it came his mighty men who would lay down their lives for him because he said yes to God's assignment. Some of us, we say, I'll serve God fully when I finish my studies. I would honor God, but it's difficult in this job. I would act in integrity, but I've got bills to pay. I'd love to serve, but I'm too busy watching TikTok. I, like, I'm, I, I would, I would, but, I would, but. I would, but I would carry on leading a life group, but the people are weird. By the way, no one ever said that. And, and, let, and let me say, if your life group leader's just sat down, like I've not been here, that, that didn't happen, all right? So I've not. But you know, David, he didn't say, these people are no good. You've anointed me to be king, but these people are no good. He said yes to God's assignment. He kept on saying yes. I want to say, wherever God has put you, whatever tomorrow morning looks like for you, Say yes to God's assignment. Say, it might not be the place you want to be tomorrow morning, but say yes tomorrow morning to serving him there. You put me here, I'm going to bring my best. Say yes, and you'll serve the purpose of God in your generation if you keep doing that. Thirdly, his progression was restrained. He said yes to God's timings. This can be a hard one. Sometimes we have longings, desires, aspirations. I'm including here the things that God has put in our lives and in our hearts, the dreams, the calls, the aspirations, the things he's put in you and on you, but then he says, not yet. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Did the Lord ever say not yet to anybody? Does anyone ever feel like they're in a waiting place and the Lord will allow those seasons of discipline and incubation and constriction? And you know the most frustrating thing is he doesn't tell you even that's what's going on any more than he told Joseph in the prison cell what was going on. He didn't say, I am preparing you here. This is okay. He's just left there. But God is doing more behind his back than in front of his face. And it strikes me that David said yes to process and yes to timing. He was anointed in front of his brothers as a young man. He's probably 13, 14. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel the prophet, said, how long will you mourn for Saul? Fill your, oil, be, uh, fill your horn with, with oil and be on your way. Go to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king 
And the man of God goes with a, with a horn filled of oil to pour it out on the head of the chosen one. And he sees Eliab, the first one, who's tall and strong. And he thinks, this is the one. The Lord says, not the one. And then Shammah comes and he goes through the seven. And all of them, the Lord says, no, no, no. And Samuel's left there like a muppet. And he says to, to Jesse, any more. And Jesse goes, there's number eight. But he's a few miles away. Samuel says, we won't sit down till he gets here. He knows at that point. Maybe you feel like number eight. But I want to tell you, God sees you. God knows you. And he pours the oil out on David's head. And yet here's the thing. The, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in that moment. And yet he goes back to the field as far as we can tell. Everything changes and nothing changes. Everything changes on his life, but nothing changes in his life. And this can happen sometimes with us. And then, and then he, gets, he, he goes to the Valley of Elah and he, he slays Goliath. But, but from there, he gets put in Saul's household as a servant. And even there... Saul says to him, look, why, why don't you marry one of my daughters? And, and David's response, although he says yes to God, he's humble in his approach before the king. He said, this isn't right. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a humble man. It's, it's a big thing. He says, a big thing to marry into royalty. He never tries to exalt himself. And then he's on the run because Saul's trying to kill him. It's probably 15, 17 years before he come, becomes king even over Judah fulfilled and, and those times where Saul's hunting him down like a dog and, and the Lord delivers Saul into his hands. But you know what he says? He says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not try and fulfill the purpose of God until God opens the door. He said yes to God's timing. One of the times uh, David and his men are in the back of the cave. Many of you, if you know your Bible, you know the story 1 Samuel 24 and, and they're there hiding they're, 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 they're on the run from Saul and Saul's army. Or Saul's trying to kill David because he's been jealous of the call that is on David's life. And they're hiding in the back of the cave. And then Saul, of all people, the king himself, needs to relieve himself. And he goes into the threshold of that cave to relieve himself. And at the back of the cave, David's men are lying. They're going, get him! This is it! They're whispering it as quiet as they can, but they're screaming at him, going, look, look, the Lord has delivered him into your hands. And David creeps up and he, he cuts a tiny bit off Saul's robe and he says, and he's racked with guilt. And Saul goes and David calls after him and, and he said, far be it from me to lift my hands against the Lord's anointing. He rebukes his men. Even when Saul dies, some messengers come eagerly to David, knowing that David is called to be king. And they say, Saul's dead, Saul's dead. And David has them put to death. He said, how dare you? How dare you celebrate when the one that the Lord anointed is dead? And he waits. And the Bible says, in the course of time, he inquired of the Lord, should I do anything? Should I do anything? And the Lord says, go to Hebron. And at Hebron, he's anointed king over Judah. And it's seven and a half years before he becomes king over the nation, before the word that was 
that was given to him by the prophet Samuel is fulfilled. But he waits for the Lord's timing. In the meantime, you can read it at the start of 2 Samuel, Abner tries to accelerate the, 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 the promotion of David, but David will have none of it. Friends, I want to encourage us that we say yes to the timing of God. But fourthly and finally, his impact was maximized. He said yes to God's platform. My final thought is this, that at each stage, with each assignment, whatever God gave him to do, he gave everything that he could. You might be going back to school. You might be going back to uni. You might be going to work. You might be at home with kids. You might be in the senior years of your life. I don't know what, what your assignment is, but in each assignment, David said yes and gave everything as far as I can see. He maximized the platform, the moment, the season, the opportunity to fulfill the purpose of God and to please the Lord. Won't the band come and join me? As a, as a steward of his father's sheep, we find out later that he's rescued them from the lion and the bear. He could have stepped back, but he risked his own life. He was faithful in that place. He, he wrote some of the songs of worship and adoration in that season of, of constriction, of hiddenness. He's got... The only platform he's got is a personal platform of devotion and he uses it to cultivate a relationship with God and in private that writes and pens some of the most incredible worship songs. In the Valley of Elah, he, he rushes towards Goliath. The, the Bible says he ran quickly towards him with a sling and a stone in his hand. At the cave of Adullam, he makes no excuse and he turns society's outcasts into a mighty army. In Hebron, you can read it. It's beautiful how he, to these, these people, the discontent, he, he shows them at Hebron what it means to have an honor culture, what it is to honor the Lord, kingdom values, things that Joab's trying to do. And David said, that's not how we're going to do it. We're going to honor the Lord. And finally, when he's anointed in Jerusalem, he's anointed in Zion as king over Israel. He seeks to bring the ark, the presence of God. He establishes the kingdom. He uses his platform in the little and in the large, in the small and in the much. And whatever platform you've been given, can we use our agency? Will we use our moment? Will we use our season? When our kids were little, Esther had a time as, as full-time mom. I remember being asked, someone, someone said she, she'd worked as a professionally as a physiotherapist, and, but she was full-time mom. I remember someone saying, does Esther work? And you know what? I said, yes, she does work. What I wanted to say was, yes, she's running a school of ministry. It's a full-time discipleship program of 24-7 mentoring for the next generation of disciples. She writes the curriculum herself. She does all the administration and all the catering. And she's got three full-time students that have been enrolled since birth. Hello? Because, you know, it's like, that's the platform. In that season, that's the platform. That's it. We get different opportunities. I'll encourage you. You're going into people's houses this week. If you're, you might be in a job where you've, you've said, this place is God-forsaken. Well, let me tell you, it's not because God's put you there. You there. Yeah? While you're there, it's not God-forsaken. No place is God-forsaken. I want to invite us, will we say yes to God's platform, whatever it might mean, whatever God gives you to do in the boardroom, in the classroom, in the home, in the factory, on the training ground, 
seasons change. You know, for us as a church, our platform in the next 10 years is going to be different to the last 10 years. We've got to be courageous. We've got to be bold. We get ahead of ourselves. But if God opens a door for us to be an influence, that we'll say yes. We'll say yes to God's platform. We'll do what he asks us to do because we're seeking to serve the purpose of God in our generation. Church, I wonder if we can open our hearts to respond today. As I close, I want to invite you to respond, to say yes. I'm here today after a break for which I'm very grateful to say, God, here I am. Here's my life. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to say yes to you. In a moment, the band are going to lead us in a song. And I, I wonder today if we might remain in our seats initially. But if you can say yes to God today. Maybe you've said yes a thousand times like I have, but today you just want to come and say yes again. Or maybe you feel a long way from God, and today actually you're doing business to say yes. To make a shift, to reorientate yourself. And then as the band lead, if you want to respond, I'm going to invite you to stand as a part of your response across the room, different ones at different moments, to say yes to the purpose of God, to say yes to serving the Lord, to say yes to your life being in His hands, to serve in His purpose and His plan as far as you can ascertain it, to say in a big yes to the living God then at that moment, why don't you stand? Some of you might want to come out of your seat and come down the front just as a moment of saying yes. So I invite you to respond in that way, to stand when you're ready. You might be ready already before any words are sung, and that's okay. Lord, we come. We come before you as your people. We pray, would you find a yes in our hearts? We thank you, you've already said yes to us. We thank you, you've already poured out your love and given a yes to us. Here we are, Lord. Use us for your glory.